The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the moment of truth for tech. That is how one star analyst describes what's at stake as earnings from the biggest stocks in the market start reporting in a matter of hours. We get you ready ahead of that with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Jim Labenfeld. Everybody's in the house, and it's good to see everybody here. Let's check the markets. Dow is at a six-week high, S&P five-week high. Of course, we're showing you Microsoft and Alphabet. They get the party started in overtime, each having a pretty decent day as well. All right, so it's Dan Ives, Wedbush. Uh, Josh says it's the moment of truth for tech. If that, in fact, is the case, which one matters more? Uh, which one matters today. more of the tech today? Things? No, just today. Microsoft, Alphabet, or do they carry the, the same amount of weight for technology in general and then thus for the market? Yeah, I, look, I think that there are areas of tech that we already know are challenged and are facing a tough 2023 just purely based on the fundamentals of their respective businesses. So obviously semiconductors fit into that category, a lot of areas of software as a service, et cetera. But when you look at the mega cap tech, the big five, the big seven, whatever um, classification you want to use, these companies are very idiosyncratic. I don't think they're highly representative of a lot of other companies in the space. Most of them have mul multiple verticals that they sell into. Um, and so it's just a little bit tougher to say what's great for one of these companies is going to matter a whole lot for 10 other stocks. That being said, it will be important for the direction of the market. These are the big weights in the index. This is where a lot of the earnings growth within the index is supposed to come from. So we have to pay attention to all of them. Uh, Alphabet and Amazon are the two that uh, I am most positive on right now, not necessarily based on earnings trends, but just where the prices are, how much has already been discounted into these names. Uh, in the case of Alphabet, I think they are the beneficiary for the hell that, that is going on with meta platforms. I think that'll continue for a number of quarters, quite frankly. Uh, and in the case of Amazon, this is a stock that's been cut in half and trends within their underlying business just do not justify that level of uh, market cap loss. So I like both these names going into the print, and I wouldn't be afraid to uh, add more if, in fact, they come down. All right. So, uh, Stephanie Link, right? You, um, some are saying, okay, we need to find out if the worst is still ahead for tech uh, or behind it. You got consumer issues related to PC, you got enterprise issues related to the macro, you got FX, and that's affecting almost everybody across the board. You've got Microsoft. Let's take that first. What you don't own, no. which I wonder why. For the king of enterprise software, they are expected to post the slowest revenue growth in five years. 
Yeah, I mean, it, there are puts and takes to Microsoft, right? I mean, PCs, as you mentioned, is weak. FX is going to be a problem, too, right? That said, you mentioned enterprise, and that actually could be a bright spot, stronger than expected. Cloud, expected to be about 33%. That's down from 34, 34.5% last quarter. It's still very respectable. But I just kind of feel like, Scott, it's, it's very over-owned. It's very well liked by the sell side. It trades at 24 times earnings. And when I look at the FANG collectively, it's just not that compelling on a valuation basis. But I do think it's going to be a solid report. And by the way, I think they are going to guide double-digit constant currency revenue growth uh, on, the call, on the call tonight. But they also might talk about cloud slowing. That was a big beneficiary of a stay-at-home. Well, so cloud Azure growth is expected to slow, Jim, to 37% from 50 a year ago, right, to Steph's point, you do 50 during the pandemic, that's a high level of growth that you're not going to do on the other side of the pandemic. So 37% is nothing to sneeze at, obviously, but you're not paying for the same growth rate. But to Steph's point, you're paying for a valuation that is richer than the market. Yeah, um, I'm kind of with Stephanie on this. I do own the shares. But you I, own it. You're the only one, by the way, up here today who does own Microsoft. Yeah, um, I own it at half the market weight. I'm at a 3% weighting. So, you know, some would say I'm shorted, but I don't want to go in that argument. What I want to say is the 37% growth, that's pretty good. Um, the multiple, though, is what's keeping me from getting really energized about it or, frankly, about Apple, which I'm also uh, uh, half the weight, or Amazon. And it's not, these are obviously great companies, but the problem is, you know, you look at a forward multiple on Microsoft around 23 times, and I will tell you that that's probably fair price, that what you're going to get going forward in terms of share price return is not going to be from multiple expansion. It's going to be from earnings per share growth. Now, that could be 10% a year for the next few years, and that's great. And that's why I own it at 3%. I do think there are other sectors of the market, and this is why I'm heavy on value versus growth, that will have greater uh, earnings per share growth than that and where the multiples can expand. So I, I'm, not, I'm not damning it with faint praise. I'm just simply saying that, yes, the multiple has come down. I think it was 30 times at the beginning of the year. Uh, the growth rate, as you point out, Scott, is coming down, and it may just be at fair price. Nine right and a half, nine and a half percent year-over-year revenue growth. We're going to pay 25 times earnings for that. Not quite sure why. I understand it's high quality, deserves a premium. That much of a premium? Well, oh, how a difference uh, times make. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever complained about the valuations of these stocks ex-Amazon. Nobody? About these stocks ex-Amazon? The whole I, argument about Apple for that. the last many years was it's nobody. cheap. And Microsoft was cheap. Now, all of a sudden, even with their valuations in, we're having a conversation about whether they're too expensive. Because, well, because risk-free money is, is 4% is now. Wait a minute. Growth That's is, why I'm saying, to, oh, how times have changed. And also, growth is slowing for these companies. Even True Alphabet also. is going to be 12% total revenue growth versus 69% last year. Well, isn't growth so for these companies I, even slowing still better than growth for most others? No. Scott, no, Scott Alphabet, Alphabet is... Alphabet well, how about is, outside of tech? No. Well, we're talking in tech first. No, no I, well, in tech, I mean, cybersecurity. They're, they're still growing 30, 40 percent, and they will for the foreseeable future. But these guys, these fangs are so overowned, and you're seeing decelerating growth. I'm not saying they can't pop on these quarters because expectations have come down, but they're well owned. Who is your incremental buyer? Alphabet is uh, going to do $70 billion in revenue this quarter, earn $1.25. <laughs> this is a stock you can buy under, under a 20 multiple right now. Um, so it's got a little bit of a premium to the market, not all that much, not much historically, um, tons of cash. And if you were to factor, you know, back out the cash or factor in shareholder yield and what they can do in um, buyback if they really want to, it's a cheap stock. It, yes, it's not growing as fast as it was in 2016, nor should it. Look at the size of it. So I think that there are there are areas 
within this group that you just say, like, not only is this a cheap stock for fangs, this is just a cheap stock, period, like relative to all other Think, stocks. Like everything else in the market right now, Jim, you just don't know what, what the right multiple is for the degree that growth is slowing across the board. Microsoft's going to post its slowest revenue growth, as I said, in five years, the lowest income growth in two years. Alphabet, fifth straight quarter of slowing sales growth. Revenue growth is expected to be around the slowest in two years. Yeah. Yes, they're still growing mightily, healthily. But what do you pay for a stock that's not growing to the, de- the degree it once was? Yeah. I, well, you pay a lower multiple, and we know that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partially agree with what Josh just said. He was pointing out Go all Alphabet. the way. Go all the way. Well, we'll have some fun, <laughs> you and I. Um, you know, Alphabet at 19 times. I mean, sure, it could get cheaper. Any stock could get cheaper. But we're talking about in tech, and this is important, we're talking about asset light or at least hard asset light companies. And traditionally, that has garnered a somewhat of a premium over the market. And I think it's, it's reasonable. You know, these things don't depreciate like an automobile plant depreciates. At 19 times, I think, I think Alphabet is fairly priced. Now, where I'm going to disagree with Josh, this is okay, we can do this, is Amazon. And it's not that Amazon's a bad company, and we know what's going on with Amazon Web Services, but we know that the hard and soul of what they do is selling goods. And we know that people are kind of full up on goods. We've had the goods to services transition in the economy. I think that's a little hard well, pressed to get paying, excited. Oh, you're, you're paying for the cloud business. Are you I, not I, said, I said I'm not ignoring Amazon Web Services. It's a point well made and well taken. I mean, but it's not, but just, the heart, it's not just a no, point. That's where the growth is. That's where the from. growth is. Okay. That, that's why you are willing to pay the I, higher I, multiple. I, I, Nobody's buying Amazon for groceries. Yes. And, well, and uh, like no, but, no, but, I mean, but what's the okay. multiple? Give me Take the four crossfire up there. What is it? 40 the crossfire. 40 to the point you're making and that you're asking me, you know, aren't these multiples a little bit questionable at 40 times forward on Amazon? Even notwithstanding what you guys are both saying about Amazon Web Services, I'm going to say it's a little pricey. But you're I know you're talking s- about it, though, as if it's like a pimple rather than like where the, the story is is going to be. The growth is going to come from. It's the slowest cloud growth of the big three, though. Now, I'm sorry. The Ford multiple was 77. Excuse me. I mean, there is a price. There is a price at which somebody says it's too expensive. It's OK. It's a great company. I'm, I'm going to applaud Amazon Web Services 77 times. Eh, not so excited. His, All right. his, historically, if you if you were buying and selling Amazon historically based on valuation, congratulations. You picked the absolute worst multi, uh, worst metric to decide what the forward-looking stock uh, price would do. I feel, I feel like you and I have had this discussion too and many I've times always been, I've always years. been right about it. So this has not been the thing that Amazon has lived or died on as I want to make stock. sure I'm hearing you clearly. This is the usual discussion you and I have about whether valuation on this stock matters. Is that the – No. Because this year has been – I mean, you got to admit, this year has kind of been a comeuppance on – yeah, but it doesn't Amazon. matter. But Amazon didn't go down because of valuation this year. It went down because every single stock went down plus every single bond. Let's, let, 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 let's keep it real. If you were looking at Amazon in 2011, 12, 13, 14, and your, your thesis was, well, the multiple's high, uh, therefore I'm not going to buy it, that has been a loser. Yeah, Josh, I, I, wait, 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 that? Steph, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But this whole year has been about valuation matters, whether it's Amazon or the stock market. In Once general. again, straw man, I'm not saying valuation doesn't matter. I'm, I'm saying I'm not that is not you. the crux of why the stock has gone up or down ever. Why hasn't I think, the stock I think done better year, in the last two let, years? Because growth, is, because, because growth has slowed down to a degree to a degree that people are just no longer willing to continue to pay for it at the current valuation. Wow, by so the way, so Steph, this is a stock that you owned. 
Yeah, it's and first of all, you didn't own it for the longest time because I remember the the arc of history of of you and, and Amazon didn't own it because in part of the valuation is a value investor. Steph, like I'm you saying are. in the decided of growth, that you had to buy the stock, which you did. Now you no longer own it. I'm just saying, what's well, like what's new? The, has, in the, the absence stock hasn't of growth, done anything in two years. So tell me what is going to change right now in this quarter or the next quarter or the quarter thereafter that all of a sudden people get back interested in it if growth is actually slowing good. and the valuation is very expensive. What Amazon very has, good questions. What Amazon has in common with all of the other tech giants that, by the way, are starting to work here relative to the market. Very interesting. Garpy Tech looks better than any other kind of tech right now. And actually, shareholder yield as a factor is up the most off the low. Go look at every market factor. Shareholder yield is beating low volatility. It's beating, um, it's beating value. It's beating growth. So why is that the case? Because we're in an environment where people are going to go back to the names, even if they don't have the same amount of growth they used to, have a lot of stability, have some secular growth component to their business, so, and can return a ton of capital to shareholders. Amazon hasn't even attempted that lever yet. That's a whole other part of the story that we could see happen. I would rather own semiconductors, and you know that I'm underway semiconductors. I'd rather own that group because that group has gotten beaten to death. And they have end markets that are very, not exactly similar to an Amazon, but they have the same technology exposure. Way more cyclical than uh, and Amazon. They are, but they also are Way trading more. at, at single-digit multiples. What, what, what else that this group of stocks had going for it, too, was the idea that they were defensive in nature. They in are. A, do, you think prime, no. do you think they prime They are. However, are, are however, I asked Santoli about this yesterday in his last word in overtime. I said, is that notion dead? He said, it's not dead, but it's dormant right now. These aren't being viewed in the same light as they were a year or 18 months ago as as defensive as they had been, they, wouldn't you admit? They never, they never were defensive. And, and Josh, this is okay. You and I well, can disagree on this. Well, they never, of listen, course defensive, they were. wait a second. Defensive is utilities, consumer staples. What you had here. We're not talking about them in that light of defensive, pure defensive like stocks. portfolio-wise defensive. There were people who were exactly hiding I, out in some right, of these. Let me, cut, let me get to the point, okay? Please. Josh just said it, all right, that people, when they're getting back in the markets in this year, they go to where they feel they're safe, okay? Apple, Amazon, things, all right? You feel that it's safe. That, but here's the thing. Making just my point. let me finish. Go ahead. Okay? I don't know. Every time that people have bought the dip in these stocks this year, they've gotten their face kicked in. Every single time. That's higher rates. We've had, that's, high, that's because of higher rates. Yeah, it's nothing it's to do different. with the fundamentals of these businesses. No, no, no. That's, I'm not saying that. I'm just I saying am. higher guys, interest what rates, I'm saying, meaning long duration assets guys, what I'm don't saying, do as I've well. I've been consistent on this. You can beat me up on this. Over the years to come, we're in a growth to value transition. Part yeah. of that transition well, is people go back to where the they point. feel safe and they realize it's not safe. That's it's the not point. defensive. That's the point it never that, was. That, that's the point our headliner is making today. Brian Belsky, BMO, bring him in. Um, he joins us today uh, from, uh, from up north. As we say, Mr. Belsky, welcome back. I mean, are we in a, a lasting transition here from growth to value like Farmer Jim suggests? Uh, good morning or good afternoon. I'm sorry. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, I do believe that. Uh, but I do actually, you know, I'm in Josh's camp as well because I do think for tech in particular, we're at this crossroads of growth and value. So growth at a reasonable price. So attractively valued growth stocks in value stocks that actually have opportunistic growth. But as you know, through market history, typically size and style runs in very long trends. And we've had this massively long trend 
with respect to growth. We believe, and we were overweight value all year this year, we think that we are in the very early stages of a multi-year trend of value outperforming growth and also outperforming the market. Doesn't mean you can't buy tech and can't own tech. You just have to be kind of more um, discerning, let's call it. But at the end of the day, uh, in a higher interest rate environment, which we're going to be in, and remember higher 5% or 4% is certainly higher than zero. And so that's what really favored growth stocks with these. Um, yeah, but no, you can't, you can't the tell me money. that you can't tell me that these FANG stocks or these mega cap techs are only going to work in a zero rate environment. I didn't say that. Uh, I think that that was the era of let's call it the go go Momo Jojo stocks of, of the late 90s. Let's call them the Kathy Wood stocks that obviously saw all the momentum and the money flows in 2021. We're still overweight Apple, Microsoft, full disclosure. We think they are the consumer staples areas of tech. These companies are throwing off capital and dividends and they fit a lot of, of what we own both in the U.S. and Canada with respect to our private wealth clients. So I think you can maintain those positions, but where you want to be in is in the classic kind of value areas because, quite frankly, earnings are slowing. We know that. But what our work also shows is that coming out of a bear market trough, we've had 11 bear markets since 1957, we typically see multiples actually go up on average five multiple points. In that type of environment, Scott, you want to be a value investor and a stock picker. So we're advising higher tracking air, tilt toward value, don't sell your tech stocks, but really be more concentrated in those, what we like to call the consumer staples, big, uh, old, ugly tech stocks. Hey, Belsky, uh, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the concept that some of these giant tech stocks are really consumer staple stocks masquerading as, you know, high growth, high innovation, which it's not that they're not also that at times, but really uh, the Apple iPhone is the consumer product of the century so far. And nothing's really going to change that anytime soon. This is a product that gets replaced as soon as it's broken or lost. It is a consumer staple. It's not a consumer staple for everyone, but for a certain portion of the population globally, it obviously is. I would make the same case about an Amazon Prime membership. I don't think that's the first thing to get canceled in a slower economy either. Why would we look at classical defensive sectors like consumer staples, which are not cheap, like utilities, which are in the top quartile of valuation of all time right now, when we could do something as simple as say, I want my growth at a reasonable price, defensive tech, and then in a barbell, I will also take TLT, IEF, GOVT, SHY, look, $100 billion worth of inflows went into Treasury bond ETFs in the last month, and they're all negative on the month. So I think that there's a choice that you can make. You can have stocks and bonds versus let me try to buy utilities and companies that make cookies. And for me, it's such an obvious choice of what the better returns will be a year out if you build it that way. What do you think about that? I think that's a thousand percent right. You've probably heard me say the joke before about Campbell's soup. Who buys who buys cream and mushroom soup? I know we're heading into the Very Thanksgiving season here. <laughs> and but come on, I mean these are very expensive stocks. And if you actually go back and look at the standard deviation of earnings growth within tech, tech is now the lowest standard deviation uh, growth of any sector that used to be consumer staples. With respect to utilities, utilities are the most expensive asset in the world. 
And if you think about the infrastructure that's needed for utilities, we're digging holes and we're putting cables underground, that's expensive. And I, I think there's been this massive push into that. They, they've spiked. Remember, these were hedge fund darlings back in 17, 18, and it's clearly this year as well. We, we would be short utilities with respect to the next three to five years. But mm -hmm. I really believe, I really believe on the tech side that investors are going to pay for stability. They're going to pay for stability. But I do think the high multiple areas, and Scott, we said this six months ago on, on overtime, that we think the high multiple tech, the Kathy Woodstocks, are, are dead for five years. But we're not even discussing those now. We're simply talking about these large cap tech stocks. And what if you're in an environment, I mean, forget the, those other ones. What, what if you're in an environment of rates topping, okay, dollar peaking, and growth stocks bottoming? And when I say growth stocks bottoming, maybe some of those can include the Kathy Wood names, but more so the ones that we're discussing here that are reporting earnings this week. It's a great question. Uh, you know, investors that think that they are uh, uh, buying or selling at the peak or buying or selling at the bottom, it's a fallacy. Uh, you're not going to do that. And saying a peak, remember, uh, the environment is going to be different. And the environment is that interest rates are going to be higher. Whether or not they're peaking is almost a moot point. What's the trend in interest rates? What's the trajectory of interest rates? Are interest rates going to normalize? The answer is Yes. Are earnings growth going to normalize? Yes. Are performance of the market going to normalize? Yes. So that's why you have to be a disciplined investor, have higher tracking year, stock picking, and own a mixture of stocks. And I, I really think that's the environment that we're heading into. And the market's already kind of setting up for this post the earnings side of things. And that's why we think 2023 is going to be the a one, one, again, another renewed era of massive stock picking. We'll leave that the last word. Mr. Belsky, appreciate it. As always, that's Brian Belsky from BMO joining us once again today. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right, coming up, we have trades on some of the day's biggest earnings movers. One big laggard is a stock that Farmer Jim owns. We might have to start calling him Jimmy Cliff. Remember, remember Jimmy Cliff? You know, I referred to Jimmy Cliff a couple of weeks ago. Were you he here? Did? I don't remember. Were you here? It was Frank Holland? Good reggae good singer. One. It was a good one. You better brush up on it in the break. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. We're back. We do have a lot of earnings, and the first one we're going to hit is Cleveland Cliffs. It's plunging today on its Q3 profit drop. EPS miss, rev miss. This thing, 
I looked. I, I didn't realize it's down like 50 percent in six months. You ready? You done? Well, can I at least set it up before you get all defensive? <laughs> I, Go ahead. At your pleasure. Okay. No, look. Here, here, look. Bad quarter. Let's just start there. It's a bad quarter. Mad feisty today. Mm. I mean, I just you mentioned that you just say cliff. Yeah. All right, go, go off, go, go off, King. Look, it was a bad quarter. Bring Can't it. get around it. And Lorenzo Gonzalez and the team—they're not getting—they're not, you know, excusing it. Costs were high, prices were low. It is one quarter out of a multi-year thesis, and you got to understand something about this stock, okay? Five-year return, triple what the S&P 500 has given. Three-year return, quadruple what the S&P 500 has given. Two-year return, six times what the S&P 500 has given. Here is the basics of investing. If you want market-beating returns, you have to take risk. And the risk is, like me today, you got to take a lot of crap about one quarter out of a multi-year investment thesis. This thing is not done beating the market for the years to come. They just improved their balance sheet by $1.8 billion. This is the basis of him buying ArcelorMittal's uh, steel industry about three years ago, getting scale, doing everything he needs to with health costs, pension costs, $1.8 billion. That brings the book value of this company to $9 billion versus a market cap of $7 billion. And oh, by the way, end user demand is fine. All right. The automobile production is picking up like they expected. There was a little pricing hiccup in the spot prices today, uh, this last quarter. That'll happen. If you want market beating returns, you've got to take some risks. Let me be clear about one thing. Yeah. I'm not selling a share. OK. Where, where do you think this should trade right now? Did it belong where it was in April or was that was that overboard? I think that's where it should be, frankly. But why isn't it there? Why is it down 50 percent? Because of fears of a recession. Because fears of even what I just said about automobile production picking up, everybody, everybody thinks there's a recession coming next year and people aren't going to so buy this cars. Year is not pe- this year is not peak earnings? No, listen, I'm going to, let's look, you guys know my thesis. You know why I have a growth to value transition. It's CapEx spending. It's infrastructure spending that's going to go on for the rest of this decade. You need, you need Is it definitely, you're going to have a lame duck president. There'll be no more bills. Uh, after next week, oh, this uh, is a good. This now. is a good. This so, is, good is point. it is it really going to be this onshoring renaissance if nothing can get passed in the Senate or the House for the next two years, and the president walks around eating ice cream cones? Like, do you want to rethink? I don't think. I don't think you need more more legislation. You right? think so what we have is ago. sufficient to drive? Uh, I do. Okay. I do because look, two weeks ago, Micron announced a hundred billion dollars of investment this decade in New York State. That's just Micron. Intel's doing its one hundred billion, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that changes because of a government change in November or January. Do you think like buybacks, there'll be more announcements than actual shovels in the ground? Because that's what I think. I don't think Intel's doing half of what they say they are. Well, they've already broken ground. You know, Samsung has broken ground in Austin, Texas, Taiwan Semi in Arizona, Micron up in Boise, Texas Instruments in Sherman, Texas. I mean, this is happening right now. I hope you're right. I think I think that's what we need in this country. So you want to get you want to give me something on GM, uh, which reported today too. last I saw the stock was up. Let's take a look at it now. Uh, Rev miss EPS beat. You got a nice gain uh, for for that one there. What what, what are your thoughts? Uh, Big beat on the quarter. They did not raise guidance, which I, I think is interesting. I think that interesting the stock is up. That's their way of saying they're going to be conservative. They see demand hanging in there, but who knows? Again, apropos of the recession talk. But I think what's more important is they're starting to see supply chains meaningfully heal. And probably more important than anything is they're really ramping up their electric vehicle production. I mean, really ramping it up. They see great demand there. I'm supposed to get my lyrics sometime next month. I'll take you for a ride. You'll enjoy it. Okay. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, UPS is higher, giving mm. up some gains, though, after reporting a mixed quarter. Decatur Capital 
uh, management. Stegas Wright uh, joins us now uh, to give his read on that. It's good to see you again. What, what is your take on UPS? I, I suppose there was some trepidation heading in, given what we've heard recently from FedEx. Well, you know, Kara Tumay, the CEO of UPS, really focuses on that residential small business mail with a low-cost leadership, but differentiated with the quality customer service. And we see that in today's announcement in that the company, when you look at the increase in profitability, when you look at the revenue per package, actually came in at about $13.58 compared to the estimate being $13.34, a year-over-year gain of about 7%. We also see that the UPS has come in at a great valuation. It's about 10 times EBITDA uh, compared to the 10-year average of about 15 times. So once again, this is a good time to be looking at UPS. Also, it provides a return to shareholders. It's uh, returning about $5 billion through dividends and $3 billion through share buybacks, which comes out to be about 3.6% dividend yield. So once again, UPS is doing a great job. All right. Uh, thank you. That's Degas Wright, Decatur Capitals, on uh, UPS, uh, which reported stock higher, but again, off its best levels. Up next, Wells Fargo's Mike Mayo is in the house. He was just named the top bank analyst on the street by institutional investor. He has a new note, a new idea, a new prop. We'll do it next. <laughs> The federal government may have to buy 30,000 zero-emission vehicles per year and about 25 times the current number of charging ports to meet emissions goals, according to a report from the Government Accountability Office. The president in December called for most new federal vehicles to be zero-emission by 2035. GM, Ford, and Tesla are the three companies that could benefit from the increased spending. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Frank Holland. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. German President Frank Walter Steinmeier arriving in Kyiv via train for his first visit to Ukraine since the start of Russia's invasion. The visit comes as Western countries begin planning for a massive rebuild of Ukraine when the war eventually ends. The World Bank currently estimates the damage to Ukraine at $345 billion. Home prices are still higher than a year ago, but gains are shrinking at the fastest pace on record. The average home price rose 13 percent during the month of August compared to 2021. However, that jump is far less than the 15.6% annual gain seen in July. 
The record cool down emphasizes the housing market's recent struggles under higher interest rates. And Hyundai is breaking ground on its $5.5 billion electric vehicle and battery plant in Georgia. Hyundai plans to begin commercial production in the first half of 2025. The Savannah Meta plan is part of Hyundai's commitment to $10 billion to foster future EV production here in the U.S. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. Okay, Frank, thank you. That's Frank Collin. Financials on pace for their best month in nearly two years, fueled by better than expected earnings and rising interest rates. Our next guest says that banks are just getting started. Mm. Mike Mayo with Wells Fargo. He was just named. Congratulations to you. The number one large cap bank analyst by institutional investor. It is the third year in a row. Kudos to you. Thank you. You're here with a prop, the baseball glove, uh, presumably not trying to try out for the Yankees, which could probably use your help after they were just swept out of the playoffs. Sorry, Yankee fans. What's with the glove? Well, it symbolizes that banks are World Series ready. Game on for banks. I mean, what you saw in the third quarter earnings, you're likely to see over the next year, and that is really strong offense. Banks are hitting home runs with their Main Street banking revenues, which should grow at the fastest pace in over 40 years over the next year. But banks also have defense. Uh, they've, you didn't see many errors from banks this quarter. Despite the enormous dislocation in stock and bond markets, where are the big capital market shortfalls? It might be elsewhere, but it's not at the big U.S. banks, at least not so far. Well, they- and, and also credit losses at banks <clears throat> continue to amaze, and they're still close to all-time great levels. And problem loans actually declined from the second quarter to the third quarter. Okay. So banks are showing great offense, great defense. The resiliency that regulators imposed on them since the global financial crisis is paying off, and it should likely to continue to do so. Okay, so they, they went on a nice winning streak after, you know, yeah. losing a lot for a lot of years in terms of bank stock returns. You agree with that, right? It's, right? it's, it's been a long... It's been disappointing, right? It's been disappointing for bank... I'd say it's been disappointing for the bank stocks. Stocks. But not for the bank fundamentals. Look at this one data point. Well, I understand that, but I mean, okay, so if I like the fundamentals, so it's like a pitcher's really great. I'm going to use your analogy, yeah. right? He's got all the skills. He looks awesome. Got a big, huge arm and throws a great fastball. If he can't strike anybody out, who cares? Well, look, bank... Price-to-earnings ratios right now, they've averaged 12 for the last decade. Right now, they're eight times forward earnings. The only time bank valuations have been cheaper were during 20 days during the pandemic. So people have almost no expectations for bank stock performance, and that reflects uh, you know, cynicism about bank earnings ahead. Well, but these but- times were, were, were good for the banks because the economy's strong enough. Higher rates obviously helped net interest income. But in a slowing economic environment, which could very well get more turbulent in the months ahead, if you believe, oh, I don't know, Jamie Dimon, guy who's running one of the institutions that you are talking about, how is there necessarily grand slam potential in that kind of environment? Well, you know, it hasn't been great for the banks the last 14 years. Zero interest rates for most of the last 14 years, then all those bank deposits weren't worth much. Now banks finally get to monetize the value of those deposits, and that increases Main Street banking revenues, what's called net interest income, what I abbreviate to NII to the sky. What happens when loan growth slows because we have a recession? Can NII and NIM more than offset slower loan growth? We have a recession in housing already. That's like it's already underway. I think what's important to realize is that through the pandemic, 
the net interest margin at banks went down by the greatest amount in history. It went down by one-fourth. So the power of the net interest margin, the spread between loans and deposits, was at a record low level. And now that's improving. And it's still not anywhere close to where it was before 2007. So that alone can help. So we're not modeling tremendous loan growth. Loan growth moderated from the second quarter levels, but it's still you know, decent. Higher rates take away the rate hikes in the fourth quarter. We still have double-digit top-line growth for Main Street banking even in a recession. Okay. And, I'll, and I'll go one step further. Uh-oh. <laughs> that this will be the best recession for banks, given a run-of-the-mill recession, this will be the best recession for banks than for any time in the last half century. Hmm. And that's because of this unique tailwind of higher rates helping spread revenues at banks. Oh, I, and would, it's, I would argue it's because the government uh, put an excess couple of trillion dollars in people's accounts and basically outlawed anybody losing money on anything credit-related which at a certain point will run out. But, like, I don't think the banks are doing anything magical. I think the, the, the fiscal policy just made it impossible for them to lose money. What do you think about that? Well, I agree about the government part. I mean, the banks went kicking and screaming, saying, you know, have more capital, have more liquidity, reduce yeah. your risk, have a Fed stress test every year. So the culmination of all these efforts of the bank regulators for the last 10 to 15 years, when you said, well, banks aren't growing, banks aren't growing, well, this is the time you get the benefit of that because now you don't blow up during Which one has the most upside from Well, hold on. He, well, on, on that note, let me, let's steer him to a new sleeper pick you call, right? Because you like Bank of America, the best of the biggies. I think right? Bank of America will hit an all-time high, pa- passing its 2006 peak mm. over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. One-third of that growth in Main Street banking revenues was Bank of America alone. So yeah, they're still my all-star favorite pick. The uh, sleeper pick home you runs. came with today is what? So the sleeper pick has underperformed by twice as much as the S&P since a year ago. They're the highest quality bank stock based on bond spreads, and they have new offense coming up because their deal closes December 1st. That sleeper pick is U.S. Bancorp, ticker mm. USB. The stock has been a dog. It's been a dog for the last year, the last five years, and it's really underperformed because you weren't sure if this deal of them buying Union Bank would actually go through. Well, lost in the midst of earnings here, you know, a little more than a week ago, this deal got approved by the regulators. And you know the concern in Washington, D.C., should we have bank mergers or not? Well, this one got approved. And the deal closes December 1st. It's going to be accretive. So this best defensive team that's whose stock has been a dog, now has offense because this deal closes five weeks from now. All right. Stock getting a nice bump uh, as you are talking about it. Congrats again. The glove looks brand new, though. Did you buy it just for the segment? <laughs> just be honest. Were you at Models this <laughs> morning? It looks brand new. <laughs> Don't answer it. I, we, silence says everything. It's good to see you. That's Thanks Mike for Mayo me. Uh, joining us once again. Awesome. Apple is set to report its earnings on Thursday. I would have brought a bat. J.P. Morgan is out with a new call on how to trade that stock ahead of the results. We're going to tell you about it next. All right, Apple is set to report earnings this Thursday. Now, J.P. Morgan is out with a specific trade ahead of that print which is interesting. Scott Nations is going to join us here. Uh, So, Scotty, what do you think of this call by J.P. Morgan? They're talking about investors buying a call spread into the print. 
a November 25th, 157 and a half, 165 strike call spread. Explain the trade and whether you like it or not. Sure. Well, Scott, let's take the second part of that first. I think this is the sort of mainstream, common sense, uh, low risk, high potential return trade that helps investors get through a market that's down 20% year to date. So let's talk about the trade specifically. They're suggesting that in that November 25th expiration, investors buy the 157 half call and they reduce the cost of the whole thing by quite a bit by selling the 165 strike calls. So they've bought a lower strike, sold a higher strike, they bought the call spread. Now, when they put this together, Apple uh, was at about 147.27. It's rallied since then. But, you know, even now, Scott, you can pay $2.25 for this call spread. That's about 30% of the width of the spread, and that's generally how we look at the relative cost of these sorts of things. And, and Scott, the thing is, this thing uh, realizes its maximum payoff, Uh, with Apple at or above 165 at the November 25th expiration. Apple was there as recently as mid-August. And uh, to get to a break-even, it has to rally about 5% from here. It has to rally uh, a little bit more to get to the the full value. But, Scott, this is one of these really reasonable trades based on J.P. Morgan's better-than-consensus Estimates for results. Okay. Uh, good stuff. I appreciate you explaining it to us and our viewers. That's Scott Nations, Nations Index's uh, founder. And we're just going to see what happens with that print on Thursday. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us from the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. Uh, all the marbles, moment of truth, at least for tech. That's what Dan Ives of Wedbush said today. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, it's absolutely the most important uh, tech earnings season in three months. <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, and, there's, and there's obviously the potential there for uh, it to sort of set uh, the storyline in a different direction in terms of uh, overall earnings picture. I think you've got like a quarter of all S&P total net income uh, is, is basically being reported this week. So far, the story has been not just better than feared, but really keeping uh, we keep pushing off the date of when we're going to have that big Waterloo moment for earnings estimates. They're inching down. They're not going down. Most estimates are going lower, not higher, but they're not going that deeply lower. So so far, it seems as if it's mostly been a valuation story. What are we paying for each dollar uh, of earnings? I'm not saying that, you know, everyone's saying we got a soft landing in the bag. It just seems like it's taking longer for it to get uh, to the to the corporate bottom lines than maybe a lot of folks uh, anticipated. And of course, today you have stocks in general making full use of you know, the the underinvested uh, funds, basically defensive positioning, the whole seasonal fact factors, and then obviously what look like short-term tops in both the dollar and yield. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you in a few hours. We'll see what happens. All right. That's Mike Santoli. We'll see him for his last word in overtime. Meta is rallying today. Earnings dropping tomorrow. We've got to get Stephanie Link's take on all of it as she is a shareholder. Next. All right, let's talk about some meta. The shares are higher by about 5% today. You see that, though, down about 60% on the year, reporting tomorrow. Stephanie Link, we didn't get a chance to talk to you yesterday about this open letter that Brad Gerstner mm. uh, sent to Mr. Zuckerberg and to the board. 
Uh, he says they need to get fitter and more focused. Meta has drifted into the land of excess. Too many people, too many ideas, too little urgency. This lack of focus and fitness is obscured when growth is easy, but deadly when growth slows and technology changes. You um, are stand- you have stood by this company. Yep. But what do you make of this from a notable shareholder who says, all right, I'm frustrated. Let's fix it. Well, we're all frustrated, right? I mean, all of us. And this stock has been horrible to own. And watching them spend so much over the last several years has been such a big disappointment. So I think that's actually going to be the theme for the quarter tomorrow. Because we already know, like, reels, maybe they change that and turn it around a little bit, but they still have a ways to go. We already, we also know engagement's going to be strong, but digital advertising is going to be weak. So the key to me is OpEx. High 80 billion, low 90 billion. That's the, that's the guide that we need for, I think, people to be happy. Is Brad going to be happy? No, because it's got to go a lot lower. Am I going to be happy? No, but maybe you get a pop in the stock. And you can get some confidence to build. The stock trades at 11.5 times earnings. They do earn money, when, when, right? did you, when did you get into this? To refresh my memory. Uh, about six months ago. I mean, I, I, you know, so I haven't, I'm not down 60%, but I'm down a lot. And it hurts, right? But I just feel very strongly that it's a great franchise. I mean, the engagement numbers tomorrow, 1.98 <coughs> billion daily active users is what's expected. They have 3 billion monthly active users. They have size and scale. If they can get it together, I don't know if they're going to fix reels overnight. They certainly haven't at what, at what point but. do you, you say they've lost their focus enough on the reason why you bought the stock in the first place and say enough is enough? I'm going to stay patient because I I do like when you have very smart people writing letters to the company. And I think that, you know, there's a lot that they can do. Well, no, there really isn't a lot that they can do. There's a lot that they can say because they can't do much because the voting structure of of Meta. So it's up to Zuckerberg and co to make some of the changes that some like Gerstner suggest need to happen. But they can't do no, they really can, anything. If you well, can wave, no, can if do, you can wave can, a wand, on, which change would you they ask can, them What to they make? can do is they can cut costs. That's the lever. No, I'm talking about like what, yeah. like someone like Gerstner, no, like in, you and others who say, look, get it together, folks. You can only do so much. That's right. Gerstner, as an activist, can only do so much. These are suggestions. For sure. More so than, hey, well, let's have a fight. And we hope that he's listening and we hope that team is listening. We hope that the CFO what is listening. What would you want them to do? If you could like, oh, we got to go. You, if you get them to do anything, we got to go real quick. No, I mean they they got to fix reels and they got to cut costs. All right, we'll leave it there. Final trades are next. Slightly large program today in overtime, four o'clock Eastern. Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan chief global market strategist, just named number one by institutional investor. He joins us today. As you already know, Alphabet, Microsoft, Visa, Texas Instruments, Chipotle, all of those earnings coming up. Terra Nova, Bosa, Kovac, Vangela, Etheridge, Rooney, Parts and Nebulos, Pippa Stevens, the crew. I'll see you then. A few hours time. It's a biggie. Steph, your first final trades. General Electric, it's down today. I thought the quarter was pretty good. Aviation is the reason you own it. And aviation total revenues grew 25%. Margins up 400 basis points. Why is, it down, why, why is it down today then? It's actually had a little bit of a rally into the print. So I think that maybe a little higher expectations. And yeah, you know, renewable still stinks. <laughs> That's nothing new, though. And they're restructuring that business, which I like. Okay. Farmer Jim. Jimmy Cliff. <laughs> don't make, don't get me singing. That's a bad idea. Uh, Please don't. Yeah, no, I won't. Win Resorts uh, sold off four percent yesterday on the perception that this is a China stock, folks. It's not a China stock. I'm going to leave it there. Opportunity to buy right here because this thing has not done well for the last many weeks. Every time it gets out of bed, somebody throws the China thing at it. It's not a China stock. That's out of the stock. Forget it. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Shake Shack reports November 3rd. This is one of those stocks that did not make a new low in September below the June low. I'm looking for those names. I think the business is on fire, and I think some of the wage pressures and food price pressures will start coming off. All right. See everybody in a few hours. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.